Hello and welcome to NetCast, where we are taking an in-depth approach to sharing the good news about Jesus Christ. I am your host, Mark Hatfield, and I hope that you are encouraged by these studies in the Word of God. We invite your feedback and would love to have you as a regular part of our listening audience. Please stay with us for today's message. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to visit the NetCast podcast, and we are in our series on the angels of God. While this is a wildly popular subject, no doubt, in the world today, there are many false notions of what an angel is, or should I say who the angels are, and there is much misunderstanding about what they are doing or not doing among us today. We hope to offer the biblical truth here as we study together. This would be a really good time for you to get your Bible and prepare for today's message. We started this series off by pointing out that angels are real and that the multitude of the angels cannot be numbered. And out of all of the angelic hosts that exist and that we can read about in the Bible, only a few of the names are mentioned and the rest remain completely anonymous. The reason for this, we said, was because their message or their work assignment was more important than their identity. The glory of the Lord was the focus of the mission for which they were sent. We will continue today with our original question, and that is, who are the angels? But specifically, we promise to address the subject matter, the spiritual nature of angels. Did you get an opportunity to think over the trivia question from the last episode? I asked you in Luke 22, 31 to 32, what did Satan have to do before he could tempt Peter and sift him like wheat? One of our very well-known listeners came back to submit the answer to the question. We want to thank Matt DeVore of the North End Church of Christ for responding. He is also the host of the Rays of Truth podcast and the Daily Bible Reading podcast, and I highly recommend that you subscribe to those efforts as well. I will put a link in the show notes to both podcasts for ease of access. Now let's listen to Matt as he provides the answer. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, or has demanded permission, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So we see that Satan has to get permission from God in order to do this. There should be no doubt in our minds that angels are spiritual beings. In Psalm 104 and verse 4, the psalmist states, He makes the winds his messengers, flaming fire his ministers. Another term used in place of winds in the Old Testament is spirits. The angels are messengers or ministers that live in a spiritual realm, and they work on behalf of God's people. Quoting from the psalm that we just read in Hebrews chapter 1, 13 and 14, the writer shares the following about the angel's spiritual nature. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? The term used here is ministering spirits. Then in Matthew 18.10, the gospel records that the angels are assigned to exist before the face of their creator that made them into these spirit beings. In Colossians 1.16-17, Paul wrote the following, For by him all things were created, don't miss this next part, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible, and get this next word, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, 
all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The angels are incorporeal, celestial beings, as Paul described the difference between the fleshly and the spiritual nature of our bodies in both heaven and on earth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 40, he states, There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. They are heavenly creatures, these angels, while we are earthly creatures living in a physical body. The conclusion is that angels bear a heavenly body, and while they can take on many forms when making an appearance here, they are spiritual in nature. Angels fall under the category of the unseen realm. God created basically two worlds, the seen and the unseen, the physical and the spiritual, the earthly and the heavenly. Just as we cannot see a magnetic field or an electric current passing through a wire or even the minuscule details of an atom with the naked human eye, likewise we cannot see into the spirit world unaided. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul wrote, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Again, the angels dwell in the unseen realm as spirit beings. This other dimension, if you will, is unseen unless we are permitted to catch a glimpse of it by the revelation of God. Now, some may wonder, why is it so important to emphasize the spiritual nature of angels? Well, one unique fact about angels being spiritual creatures is that they do not marry in heaven. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 30 and Mark 12, 25, Jesus taught about our marital status after being raised from the dead. And he said, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they are like angels in heaven. To be like the angels is to be unmarried and dwelling in heaven in spiritual bodies. While angels appear to be male only, as we mentioned the two names last time, Gabriel and Michael, for example, some have tried to claim an occurrence of female angels. For example, in Zechariah 5 and verse 9, there's a woman who's pictured with wings there, but she is not an angel. Overall, the text of the Bible speaks of these spirit beings in language that addresses them as gender masculine. The reality is that the gender of an angel is really meaningless as they do not marry or procreate. Once angels are created, they dwell eternally, so there is no need for them to produce among themselves. The population remains the same as in creation. Now, I hate to burst your bubble, but there are no baby angels. They are made fully capable beings, and they do not die physically. Jesus taught in Luke 20 and verse 36, For they cannot even die anymore, because they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. The heavenly hosts are completely devoted to being messengers and servants of God forever. But in spite of our differences, we do have at least a few similarities. One similarity of these spiritual angels with fleshly man is that they do have free will. In Psalm 103, verse 20, the psalmist wrote, Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. If they were pre-programmed to perform, they would not have the choice to obey or disobey. But here we learn that the angels in heaven obey the voice of the Lord. This also means that these spirit beings are capable of stepping outside of their proper domain and sinning. We learn in 2 Peter 2 and verse 4, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Angels can think and decide, they have emotions and longings and desires, and they work 
and worship, communicate and travel. In other words, the angels are fully capable of making their own choices, even though they are in the spirit. Some of these spirit beings or angels remain holy and serve as the elect or chosen of God. In Matthew 25 and verse 31, for example, the Bible speaks of the angels that accompany the Lord in judgment and that have been faithful to him. In 1 Timothy 5.21, Paul refers in that text to the chosen angels. Now, other spirit beings are associated with Satan, having fallen into sin and being cast out of heaven, as in Matthew 25 and verse 41. There we learn, then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. From this text, we see that Satan, a fallen angel himself or a spirit, has a host of spirits or angels that fell with him into error and judgment from God. Now, if you turn to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, we read, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is the ultimate end of not only the devil, but also all of his angels. If you flip back to Revelation 12 and verse 9, you find these words, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. This means that Satan has his own fellow demonic spirits with him to work against the will of God. We also see in Jude verse 6, And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. There has been much speculation about what the angels did to step out of their own domain and to abandon their proper abode, but we will be true in just simply claiming that God had directives for them and they did not follow or obey. Now, there are some who believe that part of the fall of the angels came from angels trying to have children with women on the earth in the book of Genesis chapter 6, but that is another lesson and discussion for another episode. Let me briefly summarize and give my concise perspective on this matter. It is said that these angels and human women produce the giants of the earth. Yet the text in Genesis 6, 1-3 expressly states that the Nephilim, that is another word for fallen ones in Hebrew, they were on the earth both before and after the sons of God showed an interest in the women of the earth, the daughters of men. These were the ancient heroes, the Bible says. So the sons of God and their relation with earthly women has nothing to do with the producing of giants on the earth. Some facts that you need to know about this doctrine is that it is largely perpetuated by an apocryphal book called First Enoch. This extra-biblical writing tries to place the blame for all evil in this world on the sin of the angels, the sons of God. When in fact, if you trust the Bible, the Bible teaches that sin entered the world by man's sin. While angels did go against God's will and at one point abandoned their appointed place in Jude 6, we cannot assume that angels are the original cause of sin and its consequences. While it is true that the phrase, sons of God in the Hebrew text, only referred to angels in all five occurrences of that exact phrase in the Old Testament, it is interesting that in the Greek text, Adam was referred to as a son of God, along with his son Seth. Could it be that here the sons of God refer to the offspring of Seth, having relations with the daughters of men, that is the offspring of Cain, who was banished because of his own sin of killing his brother Abel? 
In any case, this is a widely debated subject that deserves your own private study and interpretation. We will draw no particular conclusions in this episode. I just wanted to make you aware of this doctrine and offer some general guidelines. Now let's return to our study. The angelic spirit beings in heaven were present at the creation of the world, and they praised God for his handiwork. We find this in Job 38, verses 4 through 7, and we hear these words. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? Or on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars, again, this is a reference to angelic beings, the morning stars, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God, again, the angels, shouted for joy. The angels were created somewhere on the timeline before earth and its inhabitants. In Nehemiah 9, 6, the writer states, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, listen, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. Angels are often referred to as sons of God, as we mentioned earlier, because they were created by God. But another term for angels are holy ones, because they are called for a holy purpose or holy work. In Job 1 verse 6 we find, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. In Psalm 89 verses 5 and 7 the text states, The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones, a God greatly feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all those who are around him. These spirit beings called angels were created just like the rest of the world, as stated in Psalm 148 verses 2 through 5. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all stars of light. Praise Him, highest heavens, and all the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Now listen, for He commanded, and they were created. Also in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we learn that nothing that is in existence came into being unless it was created by the Lord, including angelic beings. While angels are subservient to God and His purposes being spiritual creatures, they are one higher order than man, and we are for a little while lower than the angels while on this earth. In Psalm 8, 4-5 we see, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. That was a quote from the English Standard Version. This is specifically applied to Jesus, who was for a little while lower than the angels in his earthly body, but it also applies to all those that anticipate the glories to come. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, the author wrote, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. You see, once Jesus died for the sins of the world and ascended into heaven, Now the angels are subject to him. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 22, the apostle Peter said, Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Then in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 3 through 6 we learn, When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Well, what is that name? Well, listen, 
For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And he again brings the firstborn into the world, and he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. Even we are a spectacle to the angels as children of God, and we are to inherit salvation in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul wrote, We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. The angels are watchers of the godly, according to 1 Timothy 3.16, where they watch the life of Christ. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen or watched by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. One day, according to the scriptures, we will judge the angels as those destined for glory ourselves. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, Paul said, Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? This will occur after they have assisted the Lord with the redeeming of the saved and punishing the wicked in judgment. In Revelation 3 and verse 5, John penned these words, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father, now listen to this last part, and before his angels. Now, why confess our names before these spiritual beings? Because the Lord wants the angels to know who the saved are so that they can harvest them from the earth and carry them into the eternal home. They have a vested interest in us and long to look into our salvation. Now, in saying all of these things, I don't want to downplay the importance of the angels. Never underestimate the strength and purpose of the angels as spiritual beings or the multitude of ways that God uses these creatures. Angels are strong, stronger than mankind, it says in 2 Peter 2.11, greater in might. They are also called mighty angels in reference to the coming of judgment in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 7, when the Lord will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And it only took one angel in many cases to destroy those who God wanted to cast judgment upon. For example, every firstborn of Egypt in Moses' day were destroyed by the death angel. In Exodus 12.23, take note of the following regarding the Passover blood being put on the doorpost to protect God's people. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer, some translations say the destroying angel, to come into your house to smite you. Since angels were involved in destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and other biblical massacres against sinners, it is concluded that this destroyer was an angel of death, even though this specific term is never found in the Bible. In another context, one angel called the angel of the Lord, which we mentioned last time could be a, an appearance of the Lord before his fleshly appearance, he destroyed 185,000 Assyrians single-handedly in 2 Kings 19 and verse 35. In Revelation 7:1, we are told how the angels are holding back the four winds of destruction so that it did not blow on the earth and the sea, and this is symbolizing God's wrath. He has assigned them to hold back the four winds. While it is still considered the Lord's judgment, the angels carry it out. These strong spiritual creatures form a spiritual army. Both angels in heaven and those from the depths of hell, the Bible says they are a warring division, according to Revelation 12, where the good angels and the angels of hell square off in a battle with eternal implications. In these ranks, there are some angels that are considered to be chiefs or captains. These are referred to as archangels, Jude 9, Daniel 10, 13. 
These captains were appointed to announce the time of the end. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16 we read, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. These angels will lead the victory of the saved over Satan and sin. The word sabe is the word for hosts in the Bible, and it is a military term for the troops that would assemble for battle in the form of offense and defense or protection. Christ is the supreme ruler over all these troops now that he is exalted to the right hand of God. In Ephesians 1.21, the word of God reveals that Jesus is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. But keep in mind that the battle is spiritual. The battle continues to rage not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and world forces of this darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We find this in Ephesians 6 and verse 12. The Bible also teaches that every knee, that is every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, will eventually bow to the Christ who is given a name above all names, the name of Jesus, Philippians 2, 9-10. He is head over all rule and authority, Colossians 2:10. He disarmed the evil forces through his death and resurrection, and they know that their fate of eternal destruction is imminent. In Colossians 2.15, Paul stated, When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. We need to decide which side we are fighting on. The battle and struggle is indeed spiritual, it is real, and it is an attack. This all started when about a third of the angels fell along with Satan, who is also a created angel, and they were cast out and bound and reserved and kept for eternal damnation in hell. We learn of this end in Revelation chapter 12, verses 4 through 9. His tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God, so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. From the best estimates that we can make, the fall must have occurred between the time that God said everything was good in Genesis 1.27 and the time that Satan appears to tempt Eve. All angels are from God, and therefore they are all subject to his authority, even demons. Turn to the book of Job, look at chapter 1 and verse 1, chapter 1 verses 6 through 12, and chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. We see how the fallen angels and Satan had to ask permission to pursue the life of the righteous man Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Now continue in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. 
but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. We see the exact same scene unfold again in Job 2, 1-3. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Now we won't read the entire story here. The point is that Satan is a fallen angel that works against the will of God. He is subject to the permission of God to perform his evil work. He is not omnipresent like God either. He walks around looking for opportunities to destroy our lives, and when we face his schemes, we have to choose to remain true to the calling of God. Even after Job lost everything, including his personal health and well-being, he remained faithful and blessed the name of the Lord. Job recognized that Satan was the source of the evils that he had endured. Job even said that if he was to be slain, he will still trust in the Lord. In the New Testament, Satan is still asking permission to sift Peter like wheat. In Luke 22, 31-32, Jesus informs Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Listen to Peter in 1 Peter 5, 8, 9. Be of a sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. We have to resist the evil one and understand that we are not alone in the battle against the devil. In Zechariah 3, 1 and 2, we get another glimpse into this deceptive work of Satan where we see these words, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Keep in mind that all of these meetings occur in the spirit realm among spirit beings. The good news is that we recognize our certain victory over sin and death through the death and resurrection of Christ. In John 12:31 and in John 10:10, 10, 10, we hear these words from our Lord. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Amen. Let us believe that Satan is cast out and that we have the promised life that Jesus brought to us. While for the present the whole world is under the control of the evil one, we do all that we can to not let the devil get a foothold. In 1 John 5 and verse 19, John states, We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we are admonished in Ephesians 4.27, Do not give the devil an opportunity. Now as a child of God, we acknowledge that the one that is in us, that is the Spirit of the Lord or the Holy Spirit, is greater than he, that is Satan, that is in the world. 1 John 4, verse 4. So we submit to God, we resist the devil, and we are promised that he will flee from us. James 4, and verse 7. Since we know that we are going to overcome and defeat Satan, we cannot give him any chance to creep into our lives. 
Even when the temptations come and he is permitted to try our faith, we know that in every circumstance there is a way of escape provided by the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. It is common to man to face trials and temptations. God will never allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to withstand this spiritual being, Satan. Sometimes the devil attempts to appear as an angel of light. In 2 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15, Paul warns us about that. It can be a challenge to decipher right from wrong, so we are told to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. The fact remains that if we sin, it is not because we are not able to withstand the evil one with the armor of God. Paul, after telling us about our spiritual battle in Ephesians 6, 10-18, he tells us to take on the full armor of God or take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And he goes on and explains what this armor is. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Then he adds, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. In our weak moments where we struggle with sin, we have simply surrendered to the temptations instead of escaping through the avenue that the Lord provided. We are told that not even the angels can separate us from the love of God, including the fallen angels, Romans 8, verse 38. As we've mentioned already, in our lives, the Bible speaks of the possibility of our experiencing an angel, but yet being completely unaware of it. While you may never encounter an angel, these spiritual beings on this earth before you die, it is a fact that you will one day meet the angels of heaven. In Matthew 16, 27, we see, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will repay every man according to his deeds. An angel is responsible for carrying your soul away to either usher you into heaven or to cast you into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in a place separated from God in hell. God's entire purpose for utilizing these spiritual angelic forces is to reveal truth and serve his people. And this is in order to get us to obey the gospel concerning Christ and to be found faithful when we face the eternal judgment bar. They have longed to see and comprehend the depth of our salvation and have worked on our behalf so that we might be saved. They rejoice in just one sinner who repents, and that decision, as we mentioned in our last episode, starts a celebration in heaven. What a shame it would be if we despise so great a salvation and find ourselves lost. What a glory it will be to be carried away by the angels into the light of the everlasting kingdom. Have you obeyed the gospel? Are you ready for this day of judgment? How can we help? I want to thank you for listening today. In our next episode, our topic of discussion is going to be the appearances of the angels. For our trivia question for that episode, can you tell me how the angel appears in Revelation 10 and verse 1? You could be featured if you provide the correct answer by visiting our trivia page at netcasthost.com forward slash trivia. Or if you're already on the anchor.fm platform, you can simply use that voice message feature at anchor.fm forward slash netcast. We would love to have you check out our social media sites. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. It is on these sites that we keep announcing upcoming episodes and make sure that you're current on all that is happening here at Netcast. 
If you have listened to the podcast for some time now, let me encourage you to leave a review. Write us a testimonial. This feedback helps others to make a positive decision to listen to the show. In this new year, we are trying to launch some new initiatives for prize giveaways and even a storefront on our website to sell merchandise and so much more. We're looking for patrons on our Patreon page to make this and other projects possible. Visit patreon.com forward slash netcast to learn more. You can send PayPal donations directly to netcasthost at gmail.com. If you are not in a position to set up any kind of financial gift, whether it be monthly or even just a one-time donation, would you do something simple? Share Netcast with your friends and family. Tell them about the work. Another way to help is to subscribe to the podcast and continue being a faithful listener to every episode. Your support in any of these formats is greatly appreciated. I pray that the Lord will bless you richly in Christ Jesus our Lord. 